0: Come and go with me, come and go with me, come and go with me, Hi. Have there been times when you've questioned whether God is really with you? Uh, maybe you're not experiencing his presence like you have in the past, whether in your own life or in the church. Uh, Perhaps you've wondered why your prayers haven't been answered, or asked yourself, is God really on the throne? Is he really in control? If so, why is this happening? If that's you, and I'm sure we've all been there, then I think Psalm 132 will be a great help. There's huge encouragement here for us all. So, if you'd like to open your Bibles at Psalm 132, let's take a look at this together. As we've been seeing in this series, the Psalms of Ascent were a group of Psalms that were sung by Jewish pilgrims, making their journey to Jerusalem for their major festivals. And Psalm 132 would have been sung on the final stage of their pilgrimage as they approached the temple. And appropriately, this psalm remembers how the temple first came into being because of King David's desire to make a permanent dwelling place for God. And how he brought the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence, into the city of Jerusalem with great rejoicing. So let's now read the first part, verses 1 to 12. Remember, O Lord, in David's favour, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let's go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. For the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that i shall teach them their sons also forever shall sit on your throne this year great britain celebrated the queen's platinum jubilee an amazing 70 years serving as queen And they replayed old film footage of a coronation i'm I'm sure many of you would have seen it with the priests clothed in all their clerical garments anointing the young princess with oil and then making her making an oath and then being crowned queen to the great joy and celebration of all the people and that's the kind of scene that this psalm might be recording because it seems to be describing the enthronement and anointing of a king in verses 9 to 10 it says Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Uh, Remember your servant David, he's saying, and bless this anointed king. Because as he goes on to say, you know God had made an oath to David that one of his sons, one of his descendants would always sit on his throne. If your sons keep my covenant, they shall sit on your throne forever, said the Lord. God made a promise to David to build him a house, a dynasty that would last forever. But it was in response to a promise that David had made to God, that he would build him a house, a permanent dwelling place for his presence. And that's what the Psalmist is remembering at the beginning of the Psalm in verses one to five. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, how he swore to the Lord and vowed, I will not sleep I will not, uh, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David vowed that he would make a dwelling place of God so that God could be present among his people. As you may know, God's presence was symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant that the people of Israel had carried with them on their long journey through the Exodus. It was a box that God had instructed Moses to make. It was made of wood, but covered with gold, with two cherubim, angel-like figures at either end of the lid, which was called the mercy seat. It's where the Lord spoke to Moses in the privacy of a tent. And when the Israelites set up camp, the cloud of God's presence would be seen over the tent, which at night appeared as a pillar of fire. And whenever the cloud of God's presence moved, the people would pack everything up and continue their long journey with the Ark of the Covenant going before them, carried by the priests. But they became careless. They began treating the Ark like a lucky charm. And so once they were in the promised land and they were facing the Philistines in battle, instead of consulting the Lord, they carried the Ark into battle to bring them good luck. But you see, God won't be manipulated. And so he allowed the ark to be captured by their enemies, which as you can imagine, was devastating to the Israelites. So the ark of God's presence was among the Philistines for a while, but it proved to be a curse to them with plagues coming upon the people. And so they abandoned it in a field until it was rediscovered by David. And that's what the Psalmist seems to be referring to in verse six where he says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, we found it in the fields of Jael. And so David determined to bring the ark to Jerusalem, the nation's capital. So it would be at the very center of Israel's life. And his plan was to build a temple to house it in, which was later built by his son Solomon. But it was David who brought the ark up to Jerusalem with great rejoicing. If you remember the story in 2 Samuel 6 of David, gathering all the people with him and dancing with all his might before the Lord. As it says here in verses seven to eight, let us go to his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. Because the ark, you see, was seen as God's footstool. They knew God couldn't be contained in a box. He was enthroned in heaven. But if his throne was in heaven, his footstool was on earth in Jerusalem as symbolized by the ark of the covenant arise O lord and go to your resting place you and the ark of your might i'm sure we can appreciate how important the ark was to god's people and to the kings of israel because it emphasized that god was present with them and that god was over them so now imagine being one of those jewish pilgrims centuries later singing this psalm with joy at the end of their long journey as they entered jerusalem along the same pathways the ark had once been carried you know retracing the steps of david and their ancestors singing psalm 132 let's go to his dwelling place let us worship at his footstool but there was only one problem his footstool was nowhere to be found the ark had gone When the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple in 587 BC, the ark disappeared, and there's no record of it after that. Even the Babylonians, who kept records of everything they took, had no record of it. It just seemed to vanish. And so after their exile, when God's people returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, it must have seemed empty. How could those Jewish pilgrims attending these annual festivals sing Psalm 132 about going to the temple to worship at his footstool if his footstool wasn't even there? And what's more, there wasn't even a Davidic king on the throne anymore. Israel came to be ruled by puppet kings like King Herod, ruling for the occupying forces, the Romans. They weren't descended from David. So what happened to David's the promise of David's sons being on the throne forever? Remember verse 12? God said to David, if your sons keep my covenant. But again and again, Israel's kings proved to be unfaithful. In spite of one or two good kings, the vast majority broke his covenant, and so God removed his presence from them. So, what is Psalm 132 then? Is it a lament, just remembering times past when God's presence used to be with his people? Well, maybe. I mean, how could they rejoice when it was their enemies now ruling over them and when heaven seemed silent to their prayers? And this is where we might identify with their predicament. As I said at the beginning, perhaps you've been questioning whether God is really with you. You know, you're not experiencing his presence like you have in the past. Your prayers aren't being answered. But what this psalm also gives us is reason for great hope. Because what we see here is that God is always faithful to keep his promises. In fact, just when we're doubting him, he does more than we could ask or imagine. And the reason why I think those Jewish pilgrims were able to sing with joy as they entered Jerusalem is that in spite of their present circumstances, they had hope for the future because they trusted in a covenant keeping God, a God who is faithful to keep his promises. So having remembered their past history in the first half of the Psalm, let's now read the second half in verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Here we find God's people. Singing his promises a God who says I will dwell with you. I will abundantly bless you I will provide bread for you I will clothe you with salvation and you will shout for joy I will raise up an anointed king for David whose enemies I will put to shame but whose crown will shine forever That's essentially what God is saying here eight times God says will it will happen eight times eight promises The number eight in the Bible represents a new beginning, a new creation. God saved eight people from the great flood and it represented a new beginning. Eight is also the number of Jesus, whose name in Greek adds up to 888, and who gives us a new birth and will one day make everything new. Now, I'm not really into numerology. I'm just throwing that in there for those who are, okay? What's more important is that those Jewish pilgrims were looking forward to a day when God promised to send another king, an anointed Messiah king from the line of David who would restore the fortunes of his people, who would deliver them from their enemies and who would reign forever so that God would once again be present with them and reign over them. The point is they were looking to God in faith. Even though there seemed to be no evidence of God's presence with them, no son of David on the throne, no sign of liberation from their enemies, yet they had the promises of God. Their prayers hadn't been answered, and yet there was hope. There was reason to rejoice because God is faithful to keep his promises. And here's the big aha moment, right? How much more then can we rejoice when we realize that all these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ as Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 1 20 for all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus like so many of the Psalms that's what Psalm 132 is pointing us to David's desire to have a dwelling place for God you know to have God in the midst of his people and God's promise to David to build him a house an everlasting kingdom it all finds its fulfillment in Jesus the son of David John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple and he confirmed this when he prophesied about Jesus in a direct reference to Psalm 132. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited us and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. You see, it all finds its yes in Jesus. It's Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. It's Jesus who's made us priests and saints in his kingdom and clothed us with his salvation. It's Jesus who's defeated all the enemies of mankind, Satan's sin and death. And it's Jesus whose crown will shine forever. You know, we don't have to go on a pilgrimage to a temple anymore because we've got Jesus. We don't need Indiana Jones to go find the Ark of the Covenant so we can have God's presence with us because we've got Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus and you're joined to him, then God's presence is not just with you, his presence, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. When God said here in verse 14, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. He wasn't talking about a temple made of stone. He was talking about you and me, his people, the church. We are the dwelling place of God now. As Paul makes clear, in ephesians 2 so here's my question has god made his resting place in you are you trusting in jesus trusting that he died for your sins trusting that he rose again to give you a new life a new beginning have you made him the center of your life like david did when he brought god's presence into jerusalem have you done that if so then God's very presence now dwells within you. You are now his resting place forever. And he will never take his presence from you because he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And all his promises are yours in Christ Jesus. And I know, know that there are times when we don't feel God's presence. I know there are times when everything seems against us, when our prayers aren't being answered and we wonder, where is God? you know we can join those pilgrims and all the saints over the centuries who have sung this song in faith knowing that God will keep his promises let me just tell you about a couple of those saints who have gone before us there was the great missionary Hudson Taylor who started the China Inland Mission and once when he was facing a particularly trying time in China and his missionary fund had dried up he wrote to his wife saying we have just 25 cents and all the promises of God I love that we've got 25 cents and all the promises of God are you in need today listen you won't lack any good thing because if you're trusting Jesus then you have all the promises of God and he will provide in his own time in his own way but always for your good George Muller prove that he prayed and received thousands of dollars to support his orphanages in 19th century England he never asked people for money he just prayed and believed God's promises to provide and God met their needs miraculously someone once asked him how he came to have such faith and he replied this he said my faith is the same faith which is found in every believer it's been increased little by little for the last 26 years Many times when I could have gone insane from worry, I was at peace because my soul believed the truth of God's promises. I knew God is able and willing to deliver me. For it's written, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't that good? He says, when I could have gone insane from worry, I was at peace because my soul believed the truth of God's promises. Are you worrying about something or someone? Commit it to God in prayer and trust in his promises. Find them in his word. Read them out loud. Thank God for them and then stand on them. Stand on them. That's what Corrie ten Boom did. Some of you will know her story. She was a Dutch Holocaust survivor and she and her family had a secret hiding place in their home that helped Jewish refugees find safety during the Nazi occupation. They were found out and arrested and then taken to a concentration camp. And it was there in the face of evil and death that the family members would quietly ask each other, what do you have in your shoe, mama? What do you have in your shoe, daddy? What do you have in your shoe, Betsy? You see, each of them had torn portions of scripture from the Bible, promises of God, like from Romans 8, and they hid them in their shoes. So they were literally standing on the promises of God. And then when they were tempted to fear, they would whisper to one another, What do you have in your shoe? Are you standing on God's promises today? You can't trust your feelings, but you can trust his promises. When anxiety and fear threaten to overwhelm you like a flood, stand on the solid ground of God's promises. There's an old American hymn that I'm sure some people still sing today. Uh, Perhaps it should become one of our own songs for the road. It's called Standing on the Promises. In fact, Johnny Cash sang it. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Here are some of the verses. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I shall not fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Saviour as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. As we continue our journey together through life, let's all be encouraging one another with the promises of God. And where does our journey end? Where does Psalm 132 lead to? Well, the Apostle John saw a vision of it in Revelation. Revelation 21 says I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for a husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new.